This podcast is produced by EnergeticCity.ca, your only local and independent news in Northeast BC. To support local news and this podcast, go to EnergeticCity.ca slash join to find out more. Welcome to the podcast Secrets of the North, a podcast about true crime and mysteries in Northern Canada. Recorded on the traditional and unceded territory of the Danaysaw peoples, I am your host, Emily Gallen. And I'm your co-host, Janelle Opashinsky. Our podcast may contain mature content. Listener discretion is advised. Janelle, do you love how the last couple times we've recorded, I've uh, introduced a new introduction without even telling you? Yes. Yes. Ooh, sp- spooky. <laughs> Surprise. Surprise. <laughs> yeah, I thought I'd... Uh, stretch it out a bit we got spooky corner now so i wanted to add in some mystery there and to be honest there there is not a shortage of crime in this area but for the longevity of the podcast i wanted to expand it to northern canada yeah instead of just northern bc um because we got homies all over the place we sure do we sure do we sure do well what else we have is a missing person still Mm. And let me just touch on that and missing persons corner, Janelle, because this woman, she's been missing since March 15th, 2023. We touched on her case uh, briefly a few episodes ago, and I love how you brought it up to see um, where she was right now. Darylin Supernant is the woman that we're talking about, and the RCMP from Dawson Creek are really requesting our help to try and locate her because she has not been seen since March 15th, 2023. Ugh. And on Wednesday, March 22nd, 2023, Darylin was reported missing to the Dawson Creek RCMP. While she has not been located, it is believed she may be still in the Dawson area. She is described as an indigenous female, 29 years old, 5'4", 119 pounds, black hair, brown eyes. And if you have any information about Darylin Supernat, and we'll have her photo on her Instagram, and if you know anything about where she might be where she went some of her last moments please contact the rcmp at dawson creek at the phone number 250-784-3700 yeah that's no good news bears no no and i do remember them even speaking about her at a music festival that i went to yeah in the summer in hudson hope um they had the indigenous community come and do a beautiful um round circle dance nice yeah and then they wanted to honor her and then also bring awareness to that as well yeah that's lovely um i was at i want to say i was at mark work warehouse here in fort st john about four days ago and they did still have a poster of her photo up there as well and i know that we do have a photo of her on our instagram page and i'm sure yeah that the RCMP has also posted a picture of her on any social media that they kind of post. We should reach out to their family and see if they have any specific information they want us to put out there. That'd be lovely. Yeah, just whatever, obviously, mm-hmm. we can do to help them. Yeah, she's we'll just been it. heavy on my mind. Okay, mm-hmm. Okay. well, we'll do that. Well, before we do that, let me take you to Crime Corner. I'm ready. I cannot wait to tell you about this mystery, Janelle. <laughs> it is... It's almost as good as the fur trading robbery that um, we covered over a year ago, about a year ago. Yeah, I loved that episode. It was a good one. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to take you in the way, way back time machine again. I love going in the time machine. I know wee, you wee, do. Wee, 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 wee. It feels good in your butt. It, we're going to go to 1943 
in northern Ooh, Canada. Oh, cool, cool, cool. It was February 5th, 1943, when a flight from Fort Nelson, B.C., heading on its way to Fort St. John, vanished without a trace. This aircraft was traveling along what was called the Northwest Staging Route. This staging route connected Canada with the United States and Alaska during World War II. Now, according to author Liefer, this Northwest staging route was used by aircrafts at the time to supply men and equipment to various military bases. Along this staging route, there were radio range stations. Essentially, these radio ranges along the staging route acted like beacons for the aircrafts to follow, almost like an air highway. I was reading a story about this mystery to my husband because he's in planes all the time for work. And I swear, Janelle, he got the biggest boner when I started talking <laughs> about the DC-3. And according to author Greg Liefer, the aircraft was a newer DC-3 model that was given the designation C-49K by the U.S. Army Air Forces after they purchased it from Transworld Airlines at the outset of World War II. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. Apparently, this was pretty common for the times, given there was an increase in demand for private aircrafts. Fun fact is that the DC-3 also had many other names from other countries, such as the Goonie Bird, Sky Trooper, and Dakota. Yeah, there's all Dakota. On our Instagram account, I'm going to post photos, and I've got many aircrafts um, that were used in and around Fort Nelson and Fort St. John, B.C. during this time frame that I'll put on there. I love that. I honestly, I really like old planes. Like, there's a very cool aviation museum where I grew up in Wetaskiwin, and I love going there. Birds aren't real. Planes are, though. They sure are. A lot is actually known about this trip and this aircraft, which is kind of surprising to me because it was the 1940s. Yeah, I mean, I think that's really, like, when people started documenting a lot, like the news was big, propaganda was really heightening up. Like, I think people wanted to know what was happening, especially after the Second World War. And given that there were some um, military personnel on board, yeah. it does actually make sense now that they do have some records. 100%. So according to Greg Liefer's chapter called Secret Cargo... On February 5th, 1943, the aircraft left Whitehorse and cruised to Watson Lake, arriving 92 minutes later. While in Watson Lake, they exchanged some passengers and mail before turning southeast to Fort Nelson, B.C. They touched down in Fort Nelson as scheduled and enjoyed a warm meal after unloading the cargo and mail. Well, almost everyone got to relax. Two soldiers had to remain on shift with the cargo while all the other homies chilled. Rude classic someone's always got to be working yeah eventually this aircraft was supposed to complete its mission in edmonton alberta your homeland yes now later that evening they did take off towards fort st john with an estimated duration time of one hour and 25 minutes weather looked favorable at the time and i quote a high overcast cloud layer at 5,000 feet and a predominant visibility of eight miles was forecasted along the route. Winds at their flight level of 8,000 feet were suspected to be out of the southeast at 30 knots. Apparently, that's good. I was just about to say, I hope that these are all great. I mean, yeah. it sounds like it's pretty okay. When I was reading it out to my husband, he was nodding and he it sounded like it made sense. He was like, yes, yeah. weather, yes, yeah. numbers, yes. I'm not a weather girl, but fun fact is my dad used to be Fort St. John's weatherman. Oh, man, I love that. Did Fort St. John used to have like its own little news channel and stuff? Well, it had a tower at the airport and that's where he worked out of. Oh. 
Yeah, so he would just do the news, not the news, the weather report every morning, uh, and then Prince George ended up, I think, taking over. Crazy. Rude. Did your dad do traffic control? No, he went into water surveying for the government afterwards. Oh, interesting. Now he's retired and he just runs the Ironman. I love it. Yeah. Okay, Janelle, two and a half hours later, after the C-49K left Fort Nelson, mm-hmm. and an hour after its estimated time of arrival in Fort St. John, it was officially reported as missing by the military. Dang. A communications alert was immediately issued to all the stations along the route, just in the chance that maybe the aircraft had diverted to a different location. When no new information could be established regarding its whereabouts, an area-wide search was organized. It seemed as if the aircraft had vanished without a clue. That's so odd. In total, those on board the aircraft were Lieutenant Mensing, who was an experienced pilot for a large commercial airline company before, And his co-pilot was Lieutenant Charles Atwood. And along with them was a flight engineer named Sergeant Sam Shilsky. I actually tried to dig into him to see if I could find a picture of Sam Uh, Shilsky. I couldn't find it. Too bad. Well, rest. There's still time. As for the passengers, four of them were U.S. military personnel, and the other four were contracted by the U.S. Army. The rest of the plane was filled with mail and some unspecified cargo. And we'll get to that later, if you're nice. This aircraft wasn't the only one to go missing that night and around the same time. I shit you not. What? Farther northwest near Watson Lake, a crew of three traveling with three passengers vanished while on an instrumental approach into Watson Lake. Weeks went by with various search efforts delayed due to weather when finally they did come across this aircraft a few miles off the runway, lodged into the Timberwoods on February 23rd. Oh, that's too bad. Mm-hmm. Amazingly enough, though, the passengers survived. Yes, oh! with various injuries, but the co-pilot and pilot were found deceased. Oh, too bad. Yeah. They believed the instruments had failed and they probably were trying to land blind. Oh, wow. Yeah. So because of this, others started to think that maybe this had happened with the aircraft in Fort Nelson. And I quote, the accident investigating officer believed the loss of the aircraft was in part caused by inadequate radio equipment on board the plane. His assumption was based on the likelihood the pilots were unable to establish radio contact for an instrumental approach at Fort St. John and continued flying in an attempt to find more favorable weather. Apparently that wasn't uncommon for the time, and accurate weather reports along the staging route weren't always very accurate. This was because at the time they were transporting the weather information in various codes, and not every station had the manual. Oh, man. Mm -hmm. Actually, after these two aircrafts had disappeared, that was fixed. That's and good. everyone had the manual. Yeah, they were like, we need to fix this yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> Our bad. <laughs> yeah. And I'm surprised how quickly they fixed it. They're just like, oh, let's do it. It wouldn't be so quick to finding out more answers about our Fort St. John aircraft. It would take five years to find out more. Five years. Mm-hmm. Five years later, two men out hunting came across the remains of a military-style plane. According to Leifer, in September 1948... Two outfitters were out in the wilderness when they came across the remains of metal debris and a mail sack containing letters from February 3rd and 4th, 1943. Oh, wow. Yeah. Among the wreckage, they found the skeletal remains of several individuals. When I was reading this to my husband again, he said that it was as if they were flying blind in the dark in the snow and then they collided into the mountains. Right. The two hunters soon started to realize just what they had come upon and decided to head back home to alert the authorities. Yeah, very fair. And I quote, 
A hasty organized team was flown into Tchoti Lakes the next day on September 21st by an RCAF float plane. So this location where this plane was found was far off the intended route and i'll put roots i have i have all the maps and the roots awesome. and stuff i'll put yeah. the photos on um far away the recovery team consisted of several military personnel from the ucaf and the rcaf a canadian constable and a mountie or two eh? hey. and the two individuals who found the the crash along with a guide so they set off the next day and they hiked up to the crash site when they got there they were surprised by the extent of damage According to Leifer, metal debris was strewn over 350-yard area, and that it was most likely that the aircraft actually hit higher than the crash site at about 8,500 feet. The remains of the individuals were identified by their clothing and belongings. Eight were even able to be identified on site. Wow. Yeah, and the three were identified later on. So bits of the mail did still remain, but apparently no cargo. Oh, We'll get to this as well. Nonetheless, they had pack horses and they carried out the remains carefully. And these were eventually flown to Montana and then later distributed to the respective families. Oh. Yeah. So, because they were, uh, well, they were mainly all U.S. I was going to say, yeah, they were all U.S. military. I yes. think it said at the beginning, right? So, yeah. that makes sense that they would be going back down to the states where their families are. But what happened to the cargo, do you know? Yeah, this doesn't seem like a regular little crasheroni. Mm-mm, she ain't. The same day that the recovery team hiked into the crash site, an article was published in the Edmonton Journal claiming that the plane had $200,000 in currency and 400 pounds of gold bouillons. Oh. What's a bouillon? Uh, it's something you put in your soup. Something you put in your butt. <laughs> I, I kind of picture this almost as a gold rush moment where the papers mm. have those splashy headlines about the treasure hunt in the wild north. Mm -hmm. and, but nonetheless, this article and some whispering sparked some conspiracies that the UCAF tried to discourage. But other tabloids started to circulate the tall tale and it snowballed from there. Of course, as media does. According to Leifer, and I quote, a special dispatch from the paper said five organ hunters had found the wreckage along with thousands of dollars in currency, which was described in detail to the reporter during a stopover in Fort St. John while returning home. Apparently, one of the hunters even told his wife about the jackpot. Oh. So originally, we start seeing that the, these hunters, uh, so the ones that found the airplane, uh, it is still to this day, people, Americans will fly in up north and get... Um, hunters and guides right to help them up there i think and they like to go to that site yeah yeah but digging further wouldn't get more answers it would just lead to more questions when questioned by journalists the hunters changed their stories now saying that they had been told about the secret cargo but hadn't actually seen it some hunters claimed the ucaf told them about the cargo while others stated that local canadians in fort nelson had told them about it an investigation into the crash did take place a few weeks later as well as five years later when the aircraft was found. And those investigating started to ask questions about the cargo. Where was it? They found that there wasn't even any evidence to say the plane had extra cargo. The investigation concluded without any records of cargo being on the plane, even though it is documented and proved that there was at least some. Because they at least had the mail as the cargo. Yeah, I was about to say there's the mailbag still. Yeah. And they did have it noted that there was mail and cargo 
on the ship. It's documented in their records. Yeah. It's not said what the cargo is. But then no one could find the cargo. There ain't no cargo. And she I cargon. She got <laughs> she cargon herself. And she cargon. <laughs> yes. Oh. And I quote Rumors of gold still persist over the mysterious crash in BC. Among adventurers dreaming of the lost fortune, the rumors will never completely die. For what is better mystery than a fortune that's lost waiting to be discovered? Boom. I love Gargon. that. <laughs> Man. It's like the real life Northern Goonies tale. I knew. I just fucking knew you would love that. Yeah. Because not even that. You got this happening. And then another plane farther north right? goes that missing. also has the same yes. thing so was there with that plane was there any note of like their cargo being missing no nothing about that okay. that just was instrumental because a part of me is blind. like was it a double heist mm-hmm. but i think that's just my poor tainted brain growing up in the days of 9-11 there's literally books just written about aviation mysteries oh it's amazing but like it is a crazy crazy thing like when you think about that staging route that they were using it's kind of like right that highway in the sky and these little beacons right. that are going yeah, off yeah like and, you were saying the little yeah. lights were and almost... so you you have to stay on that you're fucking got this is back in what 19 1940s right yeah so, it was 43 yeah they don't have the technology and the icing like it's so cold up here yeah you yeah man i mean the only thing i could think is let's say nothing to do with gold being stolen the cargo that was on there was supplies or something like that you know what i mean like who knows maybe even like ammo whatever war stuff and maybe like the lights that were supposed to be there tracking were Mm -hmm. covered maybe like snow like crazy amount of snow crazy windstorm ended up picking up something so they couldn't see it. And like when you're flying, I feel like you can't really tell if you're flying in a direct line or not if you don't have like a specific compass that you're paying attention to the whole time. And I feel oh, like yeah. in the dark, oh, you yeah. could get discombobulated if that is that the word? Yeah, you so easily. Like you get turned around so fast. So a part of me is like those poor guys got lost yeah. in the northern skies in the evening probably in the dark because it it's was february it it's, was it was it was in the dark yeah like and they eight thousand feet and they they crashed at 85 yeah 100, 100 feet so so they mu- probably flew right into something they didn't expect to fly into yeah they flew right into the mountains yeah. so i'm trying to look and see just how far off course they went and uh oh she and she far they were heading to fort st john and so if you're thinking might just like look straight at me and then do like 60 percent turn and that might be where you're where you're going it's um far up north i'm seeing it's way past farther north than like the pink mountain area mm-hmm. yeah she that's up what there. i was first thinking was like maybe it's near like pink mountain um but yeah it is it is pretty far i'm looking at it it's pretty much like directly west from profit river okay is kind of what i'm seeing on el mapo that i pulled up for us but it yeah it's like very far compared to where they should have been it's like is it a popular lake i'd never heard of it before this story so i would say no but like from how i'm looking at it at this map it looks like instead of them going straight down to fort st john they got super lost and just went left she took a larry she took a hard larry oh no wait i think she took a rand 
Did she take a Ralphie? She took, yeah. I don't understand directions. I'm going to put the map online. Yeah. We'll you, let the you'll, listeners you'll understand. You'll see where it happened. But yeah, you can literally see Fort Nelson, Fort St. John, the mountains that are directly to my left. If you're physically in Fort Nelson, looking south, the right, those northern Rocky Mountains. Okay. Um, like in the Magnum Mine area. I think you were mentioning to me something else possibly that might have happened at those lakes so it that a quick, i want the listeners to know about. a quick look up um just trying to discover where these lakes were um i found a really funny article from global news that was posted in june 30th on 2016 um that stated that two men from fort st john bc are facing three charges under the wildlife act following an investigation into a video that was posted on social media of a boater Jumping uh-huh. on top of a moose swimming the... in the Tichote Lakes yep. near the town of Fort Nelson in June of 2015. The video is said to have possibly be taken in 2014. I oh. did not see this. I, I have knew. never heard of this. What? No. I, this is not a viral that I saw. What? Oh, yeah. I, oh I know this about this. This is definitely not one I had known about. That I did is not know it was there. Insane. Yeah. I Well, the fact that they're from fsj is hilarious yeah and i mean we've talked about doing our own little tour right yeah we could hit up the tashodi lakes totally oh we could oh man we are going north the yeah no we maybe we are gonna go find that gold bouillon oh that money we're we're gonna we're gonna go find all that cargo all that mystery all that money 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 let's find it let's find the money honey Okay, well, Janelle, that's um, my mystery for today. Dang. I am watching the video of him jumping on a moose right now. This is horrific. Beautiful area. Oh my God, the fucking fist in the air as he jumped. Like, what? Do they say what the charges, um, like, probably animal cruelty. Yeah, okay. Man, a moose. He's lucky that moose didn't kill him. I did see a dead moose yesterday. Oh. And then I saw... Oh, I was driving to Tumbler Ridge. I saw the dead moose. I came back from Tumbler Ridge. And I saw another moose, like, just standing near the dead moose. Just looking at his friend. Just, just forlorn, depressed. Shed. Shed. I didn't ride it, though. No. no. I would never ride a moose. Okay, well, thank you, Janelle, for once again coming along on this beautiful journey with me where I talk about aviation and buttholes. Oh, it was it was a gooder. It was, it was terrifying. Okay, I love that. And I think we're skipping spooky corner today, aren't we? Yeah, nothing to I don't really have anything too spooky going on right now. I think the prices of living are scary enough, especially yeah. with the upcoming holiday season. Happy so ho ho. Let's just uh that will be that can spook you enough. That'll be good. Yeah. And next time tune in guys because we have a special Christmas edition that we're gonna release. Yeah. yeah. Hopefully it'll be coming out on Christmas Day. It'll yeah. be nice and sweet and short, just something that you can Cozy up to the fire with, grab a little mm. hot cup of cocoa, and listen to us scare your butthole off. Yeah. Ooh. I wanted to do a fart sound. <laughs> <laughs> That's us. Okay, love you guys. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this energeticcity.ca podcast. Energeticcity.ca is your only local and independent news in Northeast BC. To help keep us independent and to support this podcast, go to energeticcity.ca slash join.